Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast which brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the big talking points in football. I'm Ian McGarry and with me as always is the guru, Mr Duncan Castles, Dr Duncan, as we like to call him sometimes. Today we have a stellar lineup of exclusive stories and information, including Juventus, Paris Saint-Germain. We have information on Liverpool, as well as Barcelona. We have Parma, we have Wolves, we have Tottenham Hotspur, and we also have Manchester United ahead of their Europa League final against Sevilla on Wednesday. And we have hero and villain of the last few days. Duncan, we're going to start with, you know, arguably the most famous footballer in the world and his future at Juventus. Because Cristiano Ronaldo was very publicly and in his eyes, quite humiliatingly dropped for the club's last game of the season and was an unused substitute despite the fact that Andrea Pirlo had five options and his future with regards to where he will be playing next season is in doubt. He made a post on Instagram which seemed to suggest that he was saying uh, grazie e arrivederci to uh, Turin and his options, however, do not seem to be that expansive, uh, mainly because his salary currently is 25 million euros net per season. And in this current financial environment, there are very few clubs who can afford that. Real Madrid have publicly said that they are not uh, going to pursue a deal to return them to the Santiago Bernabeu. Manchester United is an outside chance of an option. What about Paris Saint-Germain, Duncan? They are a club who like to um, get themselves a superstar. I think the, the problem for Ronaldo is the lack of options. Um, and this this is something that's been going on in the background for some time now. Uh, Juventus have had a very bad season. Lots of change coming their way. Um, Ronaldo not happy with his situation there. Um, and I think from a mutual perspective, there's been uh, a search for a new club with Juventus approving of that search publicly. They are saying that Ronaldo will stay at the club and they're happy with him. Um, and Ronaldo has not made any noises um, publicly to say he wants to go elsewhere, but the work has been going on in the background to see if there was an exit that would, would work for both parties. As you say, Real Madrid offered Ronaldo um, and Florentino Perez has said publicly, while he has huge respect for him and very grateful for what Ronaldo did in his time at, at Madrid, which he would have to be given the records established and the trophies won, that they didn't want to bring him back there. Um, there's kind of been a proposal to Manchester United that uh, this is the man you can bring back to be the number nine that you're looking for and to win you the, the English title again and make you um, competitive, properly competitive in the, in the Champions League again. And uh, uh, look what happened with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when they signed uh, the, the biggest name in American sports to be their, their quarterback and uh, won the Super Bowl. Um, should the Glazer family not consider doing the same thing and bring the biggest name in football back to Manchester United and and uh, and win the Premier League and the, and the Champions League. I think that proposal has been put to them. Manchester United haven't actually said no, but there doesn't seem to be a great deal of confidence that um, that, that deal can be made to happen. And that basically just leaves you with Paris Saint-Germain, where there is a question mark over a big question mark over Kylian Mbappe's future um, and the real possibility that Mbappe leaves this summer and has to be replaced. 
and therefore you have a, a a potential vacancy for Ronaldo to move to to a club that has been interested in him in the past with the the massive financial support we've talked in, on multiple podcasts how the only two clubs in in football at present with the ability to really throw money into this transfer market are the two nation state clubs of Manchester City and and Paris Saint-Germain but PSG will have lots of other options there and one of those options is is as we flagged up some time ago Mohamed Salah and Salah's agent has been pushing the idea hard to PSG that if you're going to lose um, Mbappe this summer or even if you just want to add to that stellar attack then come and speak to us because we'd be interested in moving to PSG and we know there are issues with Liverpool um, we know there is a possibility there that a deal could be done if the if the numbers are right. So remarkably, given Ronaldo's goal scoring record and and on a you know from a blank sheet of paper, if you would have him in your team, of course you would have him in your team. He's finding it very difficult to to get out to a new place. He just uh, that Instagram post that you mentioned was one in which he talked about winning. The, the golden boot um, in Italy with 29 goals scored this season, becoming the first player in the history of football to, to win the golden boot in England, Italy and Spain, um, which shows the, the ability that's still there. But he, like most others, have got caught up in this COVID-affected um, market. And I think one thing to note, the information I have from Juventus on Pirlo's decision to drop Ronaldo for that final game, which, remember, they had to win to qualify for the Champions League um, uh, for the coming season, is that it was Pirlo's decision, but it was a decision that he made and discussed with the club in advance and got approval from the club to initiate. It wasn't some kind of parting gesture Um in the expectation that he was going to lose his job and he was going to pick the team he wanted to do and, and, and cause conflict. It was done with the club's approval. Um, and, and as you say, he had Ronaldo on the bench um, and refused to use him off the bench, even though he brought five substitutes on during the game. So that the, it was kind of a double slap in the face to, to the biggest name in the sport. Really um, unbelievable that he... <sighs> has won Capo Cannonieri in Serie A. Um, as you said, the first player ever to win it in three major leagues, uh, the Golden Boot. Um, we know that Cristiano has, uh, let's just say, uh, a justified high opinion of himself. He's obviously not taken this well. He has gone to social media to express what looks like um, Either a kind of either or um, gun to the head of Juventus, i.e., you're going to back me or I'm leaving. I, I honestly, you know, I, I wouldn't, I, I think it's quite a dignified statement. My personal view reading it, it's quite, it's quite carefully phrased. And it, no, no, I agree um, with you. Yeah. Uh, there is obviously stuff to be read into it, but he, I mean, there's a very nice paragraph in the middle of it where he talks about becoming top scorer and he said, I've already said that I don't chase records, records chase me. For those who don't understand what I mean by this, it's very simple. Football is a collective game, but it's through individual overcoming that we help our teams achieve their goals. No, I, I agree with you. And uh, he has been unbelievable in terms of the achievements uh, in his career. That's for sure. And uh, as you have said, Many times on the podcast, uh, he's someone who wants to continue his career in the same way that he has conducted himself and play as long as he possibly can and not just become one of the best footballers of all time, but one of the greatest sportsmen of all time. He's incredibly fit. Uh, he is not injury prone. But the problem is always going to be what his wage demands are with regards to going somewhere else. He's got one year left in his contract at Juve, uh, as I said, at 25 million euros net. It's a hell of a salary to pick up for anyone else. I'm just wondering, Duncan, if he might need 
two, uh, as Messi, Leo Messi has found at Barcelona, um, if he wants to renew uh, a contract somewhere else, take a wage cut uh, simply because of the post or uh, the current pandemic environment, but also uh, his age uh, as well as what he wants to achieve in his career as he goes towards um, the end of his career, as it were. Look, that's obviously an option is to offer to take reduced terms at his next club. Um, an obvious negotiating strategy would be to say to Juventus, we cannot find a taker at uh, the current salary, so you're going to have to compensate a proportion of, of the salary in the first year of the new deal and then get the other club uh, a discount on that first season and uh, and work out the residual contract on that basis. Also, he now be, does have Champions League football at Juventus, so Juventus is kind of a double bind for them in the sense that they had to get into the Champions League, but to it would have been easier to see Cristiano Ronaldo take some kind of salary sacrifice to go elsewhere if he didn't have the Champions League to play in, such as the importance to him. So his, he does have the option to stay at Juventus, play the final year. Um, I find it very difficult to imagine that a new coach coming in uh, with Cristiano Ronaldo in his squad, even though that wasn't the club's decision or, or the player's decision to remain there, is not going to use a, a talent of that level. Um, so he could run down the final year of the contract on that salary and uh, and then have a whole year to secure a new club with no transfer fee involved um, and, and get the the best salary he can in that period of time. So there, while it's a bizarre situation for one of the two best players in the world to be in, it, it's not necessarily one where he gets stuck um, in a in a situation where he's not going to be playing football or he has to take a big uh, pay cut to go elsewhere. As always, here at the Transfer Window Podcast, we will bring you the latest news before anyone else does regarding Cristiano Ronaldo's future. Um, another player who, it seems the fashion, Duncan, has uh, allowed his contract to run down and therefore uh, make him a free agent and therefore uh, able to choose his next club without any negotiation with his current one is uh, Gideon Van Aldum at Liverpool, who um, I thought was interesting, um, was given a very public send-off uh, in Liverpool's last Premier League match, uh, even though the club were still uh, briefing that they were trying to retain him um, only 10 days ago. But uh, obviously he was giving a, given a guard of honour by his teammates. And uh, it seems that uh, Barcelona, who have always been the favourites to sign him, um, despite interest from Bayern Munich uh, and others as well. I think there was five clubs, uh, according to our information from his representatives, who were keen to uh, take him. But you've got very um, intriguing um, information regarding the circumstances of the Barcelona deal. Yeah, look, I think you have to preface this by saying that Jurgen Klopp wanted to keep Wijnaldum and Wijnaldum, according to his own testimony, wanted to stay at Liverpool. So he, he said after that match at the weekend, I would have loved to remain a Liverpool player for many more years, but unfortunately things went different. I have to start a new adventure. So, you know, it's not hard to interpret that as Liverpool weren't prepared to pay me the salary I felt I was worth, um, despite the manager wanting to retain me in in the squad for next season. So I'm having so, to go so elsewhere. Is that you translating from the Dutch, is it? <laughs> <laughs> like like Steve McLaren, yes. <laughs> um, we told you in March that a deal had been put in place uh, for him to go to Barcelona as a free agent. Uh, a pre-contract had been set up. Ronald Koeman had wanted to sign Wijnaldum last summer and uh, Barcelona made considerable efforts to get him from Liverpool then, but no transfer fee could be agreed because Klopp did not want to lose the player. Um, Koeman still wants him. That pre-contract was put in place in a period in which Koeman was overseeing a, a 
big upturn in Barcelona's performances and it was being talked about by Laporta as being the coach he would continue with for his first full season back as in that uh, second uh, spell as president of the club. Things have changed since then. Um, they fell away in the La Liga title race. Barcelona have been looking for replacement coaches. They've, they've made an attempt to sign Hansi Flick when he became available because he stepped away from Bayern. Um, and they've looked at some other options. You mentioned Xavi um, last week. Um, they are still, in my understanding, uh, considering alternatives to Koeman if they can find the right figure and, and importantly here at the right price. They don't seem to have uh, a lot of money to spend on salary and someone like Flick would have come at, uh, at a more expensive level than they felt he was worth um, to bring to them. Now, the interesting thing on Wijnaldum was that pre-contract deal had a termination date on it, um, a point at which Barcelona had to turn it into a full contract, commit to turn it into a full contract, or Wijnaldum was allowed to um, discuss deals with other clubs. They, Barcelona allowed that date to expire. Um, Wijnaldum's agents started talking to other clubs, one of them being Bayern Munich. Uh, they received an offer superior in financial terms to the one Barcelona had agreed on the pre-contract. Last week, they went back to Barcelona and showed them the offer they had from Bayern Munich, showed that it was for more money than, than Barcelona were prepared um, to give him and said, look, the player still wants to come to you, but you're going to have to complete this deal and give us better terms to complete it. His future then obviously becomes open uh, because the deal hasn't been done. My information is that today his agent is in Barcelona again for another discussion with the club. And Barcelona are now confident that they're going to get the, the full contract signed with Wijnaldum and confident that his preference remains, um, if he can't stay at Liverpool, which obviously he can't, uh, that he would rather play for Barcelona next season than go to Bayern Munich? Well, as we've reported previously on the podcast, um, Liverpool have been monitoring uh, Brighton Hove Albion's uh, Mali midfielder, Yves Basuma, um, obviously with a view to replacing Wijnaldum uh, with Basuma. Uh, so that seems to be a genuine like-for-like uh, in terms of uh, the player and style. Um, I have to say, Duncan, I've just had a WhatsApp from Big Sam. He says he's firing up the Granada, uh, <laughs> given, given the Barcelona job might be available. I've replied to him saying, it's Barcelona, not Granada, Sam. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Gini van Alden will be difficult to replace at Liverpool because he has been extremely influential. And fair play to Jurgen Klopp. He has... Um, selected Wijnaldum uh, consistently, despite the fact the player uh, wanted to uh, leave or at least certainly wasn't happy with the terms he was being offered uh, by the Anfield club. Another very, very interesting uh, turn, Duncan, that has been taken this week uh, is the decision by AC Milan not uh, to continue negotiations with one of the probably most promising stroke, certainly uh, quality goalkeepers in European football, in Gianluigi Donnarumma. Um, and of course, his agent, Mina Raiola, who is never the easiest to negotiate with, and instead by Mike Magnon. Um, interesting deal, Duncan, because of the relatively small fee um, which Milan will pay, uh, considering the world record transfer of um, Kepa Arithipalaga to Chelsea for £72 million. Um, this seems like basically bargain basement stuff. Yeah, I, I think Milan have been very clever and astute here in getting uh, Mike Mignon from Lille 
newly crowned French champions, it should be noted, managed to take the, the title of Paris Saint-Germain by winning their final game of the season 2-1 at the weekend for a fee of um, 13 million euros down and 2 million in uh, performance-related bonuses. Um, Donnarumma was on a salary of 6 million net at Milan, uh, mainly because of the way his representative Mino Raiola had uh, threatened to take him out of the club as a teenager and uh, and held Milan to ransom and got a, a huge salary for, for the goalkeeper at that time. He was asking for Donnarumma to stay at Milan for 10 million net a year, plus a commission, I'm told, of 20 million euros for him for uh, uh, signing a new deal. Milan had been offering seven and a half million net. So you look at that, those numbers and um, even the offer that Milan were making, which which Raiola and Donnarumma rejected, was worth uh, more as a gross sum than Milan have paid for one of the top goalkeepers in European football. Um, someone who's in, been promoted to the, the French national squad. Someone, interestingly, who was a target for Manchester United when they thought they were going to lose David De Gea um, a couple of years ago, uh, when there was that big doubt over De Gea renewing his contract, they made an offer for Andre Onana at uh, Ajax, which was turned down, and they made a proposal to Leo for Mignon. Uh, eventually, they renewed De Gea instead. And, um, and, and I think still a big factor here, you'll, you'll remember regular listeners that we we talked about Raiola being in contact with Manchester United earlier this season and offering Donnarumma to them, um, something that Manchester United have looked seriously at. Um, we've also talked about the issues Manchester United have in goal, um, the pressure that Dean Henderson had put on the club to become the first choice goalkeeper, the the measures he went through to before signing a new contract last summer where he was threatening to to leave elsewhere unless he was given a chance to become number one. He has been given that chance. Um, he replaced De Gea for a number of games this season. Um, he's had Solskjaer talking about him as being United's next number one goalkeeper. Um, but as we flagged up, when all of this was going on, we, we said there is a real question mark here over whether Henderson, for all his self-confidence, when he gets put in the Manchester United goal, when he is the number one, when he's focused then on should he be the England number one, which is other target, how will he respond? Is he actually good enough to deal with that pressure? And I think he, there is certainly that question mark remaining given his, his performances. I think in particular... There's been a number of mistakes. There's been some very good moments for him as first choice, but there's been a number of significant mistakes. And in particular, the Liverpool game where he was responsible, uh, had errors in three of the, the goals Liverpool scored. I think that was a particularly uh, bad moment for him. And he's now looks very much like he has lost the number one slot to De Gea and De Gea will be chosen for what is, I think, realistically, the most important match of, of Solskjaer's managerial career so far, the Europa League final tomorrow. Um, so United still have a big issue over this. The reason, part of the reason why Henderson was promoted was United were looking at offloading De Gea and offloading his wages, which are the highest in the Premier League this summer, if they could do so. And um, looking at having Henderson being the cheap solution because he was already at the club, not not cheap in wages, but because he was already at the club as the replacement and then redirecting Deja's salary elsewhere. They now could have the option of taking Donnarumma. If they're prepared to pay Raiola's commission, if they're prepared to give him that monster salary, um, then they can replace both of these goalkeepers with Gianluigi Donnarumma. Um, however, they then have to find um, outlets for De Gea. I think De Gea is the difficult one. How do you get someone to take on his salary? Um, Henderson, I think it's, it's very noticeable that as soon as he felt he had lost the Solskjaer's confidence as number one, you see the stories emerging again that he would look to go elsewhere if he was not going to be number one for next season and that um, Tottenham, amongst other English clubs, were uh, candidates for him 
to move to. So they will get pressure from Henderson's camp if he's not got that guarantee of, of being the start for Manchester United that uh, he will want to move elsewhere. And they will be able to, I think, quite comfortably secure a transfer fee for Henderson of a decent amount of money, not as much as they would have before they made him number one, ironically. Um, but it, this uh, it's a very interesting situation to watch what Raiola does here now that Milan have basically said, we've had enough of you, we don't want to deal with you. Uh, we think we can get a better goalkeeper and certainly make a more economical decision than, than accept the numbers you're suggesting to us. Um, where do you move him? Manchester United is an option still. And then Paris Saint-Germain, I think, is the other um, obvious club with the kind of wherewithal to pay the kind of wage that Royal is looking for for Donnarumma and a degree of question mark and a degree of, of desire to improve upon the goalkeeper they have at present. Well, as Japstam says in his autobiography about the Neville brothers, uh, I think Dean Henderson's agent is a busy something. Um, the thing is with this one, Duncan, I've been speaking uh, as you do at this time of year before the transfer summer window opens um, with agents, with people in uh, recruitment departments at, at Premier League clubs. And they have mentioned to me that United are in the market for a goalkeeper. And I've said to them, well, that seems odd given they've got two number ones effectively um, in their squad already. But clearly, they expect one, at least one, to be leaving um, this summer. So it does seem to me that they're preparing themselves for the departure of, as you said, one or other of their two uh, goalkeepers, most likely Henderson, because it's going to be very difficult to dispose of De Gea, given his uh, salary in excess of £300,000 a week and a contract which was only signed recently. Therefore, the compensation payment to the player, should he not ask for a transfer, would be huge. They've got themselves into a remarkable situation where they have effectively three international goalkeepers of, of big status. I mean, Henderson's I don't think he's deserved, but he's a young England international, gets built up into something. He hasn't proved himself to be. But they had Sergio Romero, who they have not used this entire season and have had to continue paying his wages. Very angry with the way he's been treated. They'll finally be able to offload him this summer, but only under freedom of contract. They've had Henderson on that big new contract he was given and De Gea on highest wages in the Premier League. So the, the amount of money they put into the goalkeeper position is unprecedented. And they've still got to the end of the season and there is no clear cut choice to be goalkeeper in the most important game of Solskjaer's managerial career. That, that in itself is, a, is an incredible scenario. Um, Solskjaer's talked about having better options than any other manager in European football when it comes to goalkeepers. There's certainly an argument that he does. Um, you have to say it hasn't been handled very well that they, they got to this stage of the season and he doesn't know uh, who his first choice is or that there's at least doubt over that externally, that he's got an unhappy young goalkeeper um, and that he's got De Gea, who clearly is not going to be happy with having lost his place to Henderson at points during the season and probably doesn't have as much confidence in himself as he used to as a result of that. He was, you know, unquestionable first choice, top goalkeeper in the Premier League for years. Um, and Henderson clearly... Even if he does have that self-confidence of, of thinking I'm the best goalkeeper at Manchester United, I'm the best goalkeeper in England, there must be an element of what's happening when I'm on the pitch because I, I'm making mistakes that the best goalkeeper at Manchester United and the best goalkeeper in England shouldn't be making. I spoke to a goalkeeper who has played for three years in a bottom 10 club um, about what the difference is um, regarding you know, when you play in that particular uh, position when you're constantly under fire, under attack, corners, set pieces, shots coming in on you, and asked him, what is the difference? And he said, well, the difference is quite clear, and that is that um, when you're busy all of the time, 
when you're having to be on your toes all of the time, it's easier, A, to play better, but B, to look better as well as a goalkeeper. Um, however, when you play top six or etc., you can see that what's required is a different discipline. It's about um, retaining concentration and focus and making those big saves in the big moments of the game that can turn the result one way or the other. And Henderson, of course, has made his reputation from being on loan at Sheffield United and being in that position of uh, a club where his goal is being effectively uh, nailed by, as I said, uh, several shots per game, uh, set pieces, etc., etc. And he has earned himself this reputation as one of the finest young goalkeepers certainly in England but in Europe as well as a result of that time because it's not been earned at Manchester United and I think that's where um, Henderson's and it has been you know I think anyone who's spoken to people who know Henderson um, says that he is extremely self-confident young man uh, quite egotistical certainly believes in himself with regards to as you said, Duncan, he is the best goalkeeper at Manchester United. Consistency in goal is something which is absolutely paramount. And that's where United certainly have a problem. Um, but of course, this could be Edward's legacy, couldn't it? Because he's put them both on big contracts. Uh, and it seems that neither is uh, entirely trusted. One transfer story, which uh, I think you'll all agree, uh, will be. Um, probably a bit of a saga over the summer is that of Harry Kane. Of course, here at the Transfer Window podcast, we brought you the first news of Kane's wish to leave Tottenham Hotspur and also the interest of Manchester United. Um, it is our understanding uh, that in the last few days, conversations between Tottenham Hotspur and Kane's representatives have reached something of a Mexican standoff without Mexicans. Although, of course, Mexicans would definitely be welcome if they wanted to get involved. Um, and the reason for that is uh, Kane made it quite clear, or certainly his representatives did, in briefings uh, to the media, that the England captain wanted his future to be resolved before uh, this summer's European Championships. And for good reason, uh, he wanted to focus on England's campaign in what is effect effectively a home uh, tournament. However, uh, Daniel Levy is not only just uh, recalcitrant regarding um, negotiating a fee for Kane uh, until his valuation of upwards of £130 million pounds, uh, becomes a reality, but also uh, is willing to take a punt on the notion that Kane, if he has a very good Euros and scores goals, even becomes golden boot winner for the tournament, then his value obviously will increase because that's how these things work. But also, and not quite as important, but certainly uh, for Spurs themselves, uh, what, what is very necessary is that they both identify and can recruit a replacement for Kane because he is so central to their uh, team in terms of not just leadership, but also, of course, goals. Having just secured his third Premier League golden boot of his career with 23 goals after last weekend's round of fixtures. Duncan, this one has all the signs of, of running in the Daniel Leverage way to the last day of the window, potentially. Um, although what I guess is interesting is that um, Kane himself does seem uh, determined that he, he will not do a U-turn on this, that he will try and force his way out of the club. Yeah, Kane has organised this and Kane's representatives have organised this. Um, the interview he gave uh, to Gary Neville where he, he set his own transfer fee, talked about £100 million as the as a, as a 
a number that might satisfy Daniel Levy said that he wasn't interested in playing abroad at this point in time, narrowed it down to other Premier League clubs. Um, he's he's gone a, a, a long way down the route without actually formally asking for a transfer and the, the cost and salary that would involve. Although, um, as we reported on, on Friday, Manchester United have indicated that they would subsidise um, that cost and salary uh, in order to... Uh, to facilitate a move to Old Trafford, should he have to request a transfer, um, he clearly feels he can get out this year. Um, however, he needs someone to pay the amount of money that Daniel Levy will accept. And um, you know, as we discussed on Friday, there is a question here of if Levy says the money isn't right, nobody's offering. The money you're, you've set as a, as a potential transfer fee and certainly not offering the money that I'm actually looking for, um, you're going to have to stay. Uh, what does, how does Kane respond? I, I don't see Harry Kane having a terrible season uh, and downing tools as some um, players have done in the past um, if he has refused his transfer. He, he, in that interview with Neville, he talks about how he wants to be the Premier League record goal scorer. He wants to break Alan Shearer's 260 goal mark. Now, you don't make that any easier for yourself by having a rubbish season um, while you wait to get a move out of Tottenham. Um, if that's a priority to him, and it clearly is, if you want to win trophies, which again is one of the reasons he's cited for wanting to move clubs, you don't do it by playing badly. And, and he doesn't strike me as the character of player to um, to try that approach either. So while I have no doubt he and his representatives will work very hard to persuade Levy to, that this is the right time to sell and that he should cash in on the talent he has, and they'll work very hard to get a, a significant enough transfer fee from Manchester United or Manchester City or Chelsea um, to allow that to happen. I don't think it's straightforward. I don't think this is a simple one to run until Levy makes a decision say, actually, it's in my best interest and the club's best interest to let the player who scores the majority of our goals and has done um, either scoring or creating them for a number of seasons now and is captain of England, is the most popular player at the club, to let him go. Ollie Watkins at Aston Villa has been uh, mentioned as a potential replacement. He does seem to have a similar style. He's certainly quicker and more agile than Kane, but then again, he's much younger. Um, obviously, he would be available at a much cheaper price than they would want to sell Kane for. So I'm, I'm guessing that, yeah, they would. There's a possibility in terms of a transaction um, if Spurs could could secure someone like Watkins. Um, obviously, he's not the player Kane is in terms of the finished article, but uh, it would facilitate Kane's exit from Tottenham. I think Watkins would be attainable at a cheaper price than Kane, but I don't think Aston Villa are going to run to sell a player who they they put a huge transfer fee down for in terms of being a championship player um, last summer and, and bet a lot of money on um, to help out Daniel Levy. Uh, I'd, I'd be very surprised if Aston Villa were to let someone like Watkins, given the seasons he, he's had in the Premier League, given the age he has, go for less than £60 million. And, and if I was Aston Villa and, and found out that, that Tottenham had targeted them as first choice replacement, I'd be going 75 80 £90 million as a as a starting price. I don't think that's an easy one. I think easier is if you go to Manchester United you decide that Anthony Martial, a player that Tottenham have liked for a long time, can be resurrected um, by being made first choice striker at Tottenham, um, by getting the number nine shirt at Tottenham, by having a, an attack built around him. Then you have a player that Manchester United are ready to sell to make space for Kane um, and uh, who is readily accessible because because United have to get him off their books. Um, problem, of course, is that Martial's on a very high salary at uh, at Manchester United, so you've got a, a high base cost there. Well, 
Daniel, as we know, you're a big fan of the podcast and you listen to everyone. And I'm available um, and I will be quite cheap to sign as well as my wages. So uh, just uh, give me a call. You know where to get me. A player perhaps lots of you will not have heard of. Someone perhaps who's not as uh, high profile as Harry Kane, it has to be said, is uh, a Manchester City coach, Enzo Maresco. Um, who's been part of Pep Guardiola's uh, staff, and he is favourite to go to Parma in Serie A, Duncan. Uh, what's his What's his background? I mean, is this a surprise move to be, to be leaving City to go to Parma? He's currently discussing an offer with Parma. Um, it's quite an advanced stage. They are proposing a three-year contract. They've just been relegated to Serie A B. They want to come straight back up. Um, this has been proposed by their director of football, Javi Ribalta, who some Manchester United supporters will uh, remember from his period as part of the scouting operation at, at Manchester United, then went on to Zenit St. Petersburg to be sports director there and, and now at Parma. Maresca was handpicked by Pep Guardiola to take charge of City's under-23 side. Uh, last summer, he's had, um, by all accounts, and and certainly by um, results accounts, a fantastic season there. Won what is now called Premier League Two, um, the first Premier League Two title, uh, back in April. Um, Fifty six points and seventy nine goals from twenty four games. Uh, finished the season a full fourteen points ahead of second place Chelsea. Uh, where Manchester United and that they're back in eighth of the of the thirteen teams. Um, Guardiola very much likes him. I'm told enjoys talking football with him, discussing ideas with him. Um, very good reports about Maresca from the players, the quality of his coaching. Um, Guardiola actually talked about what the team had done um, in winning that Premier League two title after they were crowned and said they always want to attack, score goals, work hard and dominate matches. Some of their performance have been exceptional. I hope they enjoy the success because they deserve it. It's been a pleasure watching them and hopefully they finish the remainder of the season strongly. He was, Maresca was at um, West Ham United before moving to City. Uh, actually took charge of one of the games during Pellegrini's time when Pellegrini's uh, uh, period was coming to an end at West Ham United, also well regarded there. Um, so I think Palmer making an interesting bet on a young coach who, you know, very much the mode in, in European football these days, playing Guardiola-like football, um, an emphasis on attack and an emphasis on controlling the ball, an emphasis on pressing the opponents. And uh, and someone I think, if his time in Parma goes well, will be an obvious candidate for Premier League clubs um, in the maybe not so distant future. But certainly if he gets them back up and he succeeds there, um, he has the language skills, he has the knowledge of uh, of the division and, and has a you know very high profile individual um, writing references for them should they be needed. Well, as ever, Enzo Marisca, he is a future Premier League manager. And when he becomes one, then obviously Duncan will be telling you all about it. Before we get on to the final segment of the Transfer Window podcast, we're going to uh, give you an update on Damari Gray, who, of course, uh, is a former Birmingham City and Leicester City player who moved to Bayer Leverkusen in Bundesliga just in January of this year, but maybe set for a surprise return after just five or six months in Germany. Duncan, I love the fact that in his youth career, he played for Cadbury Athletic, which seems like a kind of misnomer. <laughs> Can you be Cadbury and athletic? I'm not sure. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe if you run hard enough, and uh, to marry Grace, certainly. <laughs> certainly um, one of the great attributes of his game is his speed, um, which is... You know, one of the reasons Leverkusen took him uh, for €2 million Euros from Leicester City in January after he'd been basically cold-shouldered from the team from Brendan Rodgers, with whom he had a, a very difficult relationship. Um, he played 
10 games for Leverkusen after that move. One goal, two assists um, from just five starts. And um, interestingly, he has, in as part of that move, he's negotiated a deal in which I'm told he has a 2 million euro release clause this summer. So it is a long-term deal at Leverkusen or could become a long-term deal at Leverkusen. Um, a four-year um, contract was drawn up. But um, he now has the option of moving to another club at what is essentially a bargain price for a, a player um, who had a lot of interest from Premier League clubs when it became clear he was leaving Leicester City. Uh, among those clubs, Southampton uh, were um, significantly interested in, in signing him. Um, also among the clubs that looked to sign him in, in the January window were AS Roma. And I think that should not be discounted as a possible destination for Gray this summer, given that Jose Mourinho is in the market for a new winger as part of a quite substantial rebuilding job he wants to do at Roma. And given that that low um, price, so that Mourinho is working with a limited budget in Roma, what you get there is someone with a great deal of pace who's very direct um, and would, I think, fit into the kind of tactical system that, that uh, Mourinho often deploys. But whether it's Roma or a Premier League club or another club, I think there's going to be a lot of attention on Gray over the summer market and we'll, we will try and keep you up to date with that. Absolutely. Susan, if I remember speaking to Brendan Rodgers um, last summer, and him being very highly praiseworthy of Damari Gray. But of course, the fact that the player uh, was refusing to extend his deal, as you said, meant that his relationship deteriorated with uh, Rodgers at Leicester, hence the transfer to uh, the Bundesliga. I think, I think if you talk to people close to Gray, they will uh, question uh, what Rodgers said in public about the player relative to how he behaved in uh, training sessions and around the club. They were they felt that uh, the two didn't marry very well. Let's just put it that way. Well, you know, people sometimes don't marry very well. I know all about that. <laughs> <laughs> this has been the Transfer Window podcast first of this week, which means hero and villain of the last few days. Uh, comes to our attention. And Duncan, I believe that you're going to shock our Manchester United following with your hero. Uh, hero of the week, Willie Gunnar Solskjaer, um, managing to complete the Premier League season without <laughs> losing a single game away from home. Um, a quite impressive record um, and one that Solskjaer supporters always want to uh, to make much of. Um, only the third team ever to go an entire Premier League season without losing a, a game away from home. Um, I suppose the asterisks or the asterisks have to be that most of those games there were no away supporters. Um, so you're looking at a, a, a different. I knew you were going to spoil it with something. A different, uh, <laughs> different context to a normal Premier League season, and and obviously the big asterisk is what happened in the home games, and that they lost six of those, conceded twenty eight, um, which is Manchester United's worst defensive performance in home league games for fifty eight years, um, and actually conceded as many goals in those um, home league games as the uh, the that uh, defence which which the, the most used defenders were Antonio Valencia, Chris Smalling, Phil Jones and, and Ashley Young um, conceded in the entirety of the 2017-18 season. So, But he has to get his hero status for, um, for doing the whole season unbeaten away from home and let's hope he can uh, repeat that feat next season and, and uh, double it up with the home matches too. So I'm just going to repeat that for those of you who can't believe what you're hearing. But Duncan has decided that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is the hero of the week of this Transfer Window podcast. Um, I am going to stick in Manchester for the villain because my villain of the week is Pep Guardiola. You might think that's a little strange, 
given that he's just won his third title in four years. Um, however, um, the tears that he shed in front of the cameras uh, regarding um, the departure <clears throat> of Sergio Aguero seemed just a little bit crocodile to me, um, given the fact that he, when he came in, he didn't like the way that Aguero played. He didn't like the fact he didn't track back. He didn't like the fact that he didn't work as hard as other players. Uh, he wasn't interested in pressing and actually tried to sell him on a couple of occasions as well. But um, judging by the gushing tributes he paid to him, you'd think that he and the uh, Aguero were best mates for the entire time that they'd been together at the Etihad Stadium, which uh, is not actually the truth. And in fact, according to people close to Aguero, he didn't want to leave Manchester City this year. He would have preferred to have stayed and continued his career until he retired or at least went somewhere like the MLS. And instead, of course, as we reported to you guys last week, his contract to join FC Barcelona is all but complete. So fair play to Sergio Aguero um, to be joining such a magnificent club as uh, Barcelona. Um, but for Pep, mm, I don't know. I just think sometimes, you know, he loses it a little bit, as he did uh, with Graham Potter after losing 3-2 uh, to Brighton Hove Albion at the Amex Stadium in the penultimate game of the season. Such cynicism, Ian. Uh, obviously, Pep was crying because uh, Cheeky Bergeristan hadn't sanctioned the new contract for his favourite player and, and he was devastated that he hadn't been able to persuade him to retain someone who'd been so important to their uh, title success this season. <laughs> important in what way? <laughs> Being dropped <laughs> to the bench? Seriously? <laughs> Always put, when in doubt, point the finger and blame at someone else. Uh, it's always the best way in football and certainly um, the one that we uh, uh, see most. This has been uh, the news before it becomes news, as always. Uh, if you have liked what you have heard, please give them a five-star review on iTunes. You can get in touch through social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, as well as Twitter at Transfer Podcast. Duncan's on at Duncan, Duncan Castles. I'm at Garbo SJ. Until our next podcast later in the week, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening. Hey.